I would not wish this on my worst enemy. The pain would be just excruciating. People just think that a migraine is a really bad headache and it's, it, there's so much more to it than that. It's really nice to be able to say, is anybody else dealing with this today? Hello, my name is Dr. Larry Newman, and this is Season 2, Episode 2 of Move Against Migraine, a podcast from the American Migraine Foundation. Today's topic is lifestyle tips. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Cynthia Armand of Montefiore Medical Center about lifestyle tips to help people living with migraine. We'll also cover the importance of incorporating lifestyle changes in conjunction with migraine treatment and how to implement these changes into your regular routine. Welcome, Dr. Armand. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Cynthia Armand. I'm currently a headache specialist and neurologist at the Montefiore Headache Center in the Bronx in New York City. Lifestyle changes are important for a number of different reasons, and I'm sure we'll hear about this as we, we move through, through this podcast. We say that migraine is a genetic illness. What migraine imparts upon us, for many of those who live with this disabling disease, is a hypersensitive or an overly sensitive brain, a brain that doesn't do well with change. And anything that we can do to limit those changes and to calm down that overly sensitive brain will help us to have fewer attacks. With that in mind, Dr. Armand, a patient comes to a doctor's office and usually what they want is to leave with a prescription for something. How do you incorporate lifestyle changes either solely as a treatment to migraine or as an adjunct to treatment to migraine? So there's a certain angle of power that lifestyle holds in establishing control and empowerment in someone's life. So from the patient perspective, I cannot control that I have migraine, right? So what am I going to do to take that control and establish control in order for me to live my best life. And that's where lifestyle comes in. Those lifestyle tips that I talk about work towards establishing empowerment, and it really sets the tone for management. So you're saying that people living with migraine need to be active participants in their care, perhaps? Absolutely. I feel as though once someone has the ability and feels like they're able to take ownership and be in control of themselves, they can then move forward and help in their management, participate, and I feel like that contributes to getting better results. How do you approach the patient who says, help me, I'm devastated with this disease, you have to help me, this is not my problem, it's your problem? So what I do is I ask them a series of questions. Um, I First, I start with an open-ended question. Tell me about what's going on. What happened? When did this start? So it, it becomes a story that they, that they communicate to me. So um, they tell me about their headaches, what's going on, and then I say, so how's your mood? What's going on with your mood? Um, that's the number one lifestyle thing that I, I talk about. Uh, then I move on to from mood to sleep. How are you sleeping? Do you feel like you're getting adequate amounts? Do you feel like you're able to get through your day? Then I move on to stress. Then I move on to caffeine, because usually I see stress and then there's caffeine. I need my coffee to get through the day. And then I move into nutrition, hydration. And then I move on to exercise. And then I talk about keeping a diary. I sneak that in uh -huh. at the end. <laughs> 
So you're saying somebody could be on a medication regimen and still require lifestyle changes? Yes, yes. I teach fellows um, who are neurologists who want to tra- who are training to be headache specialists, and I if they don't talk about lifestyle, they get an F because just because someone has a condition like migraine or attention headache, that doesn't mean that that's just their brain. There are other things that can be triggering that, that can be controlled by the patient, that can lessen the amount of times that they experience it. So if I don't find out what those things are, then I'm not doing my job. If I leave that alone and give them a medication, I'm missing out on something. What if they just needed an extra two hours of sleep and that improved their headache, right? I need to find that first before I move on to other other treatments. So it's an investigation. It's a collaboration and an investigation. Yes, a collabor- uh, an investigation under disguise and a collaboration out front. <laughs> Patient comes back, you've, give, you've, set out the, you've set out their plan. They need to sleep regularly, they need to eat well, they need to eat regularly, they need to take time for themselves. They come back and they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I work full time, I take care of my kids full time. I don't have time for myself most of the time. What all you do now? So I kind of dive a little deeper into what the barriers are, um, try to figure out what their experiences are and why do they feel like they don't have time. I need to make sure that the person who's in my office is making themselves a priority. So I want to make them understand that, yes, you have to take care of all these other things, but all these other things rely on you being well, so you need to make sure you put yourself first. This is how we do it. (laughs) Um, The first thing is I want to make sure they keep a schedule. So keep a schedule of what your daily life is and see if you can incorporate some of the things that we discussed. For example, uh, exercise, right? So I do this myself. I tell myself I need to exercise Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but then I come home at 7 p.m. and then I have to make make dinner and then I have to um, help my aunt with something and then it's 10 p.m. and then, oh my gosh, I have to wake up at 6 in the morning and I have to go to sleep now. But... I have to make exercise a priority. So what I need to do is I come home at 7 p.m. and I say, I need to make dinner, but you know what? Let me get a quick snack, grab some peanut butter, and go down to the gym and walk on incline for 10 minutes. That's exercise. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes cross training, all this stuff. You just do kind of one small step and you did it, right? So they need to understand that the goals that they're uh, setting for themselves in terms of implementing these changes need to be small baby steps, and they don't need to be this, these enormous tasks that they have to prove themselves to accomplish. Every little step counts. I think that's the first barrier to individuals uh, conquering this implementation of lifestyle changes. So that, those are great tips. Let me ask you this, because it happens all the time. Advice for the patient and advice for the family. Our listeners say, I'd love to do all of that, but my spouse just doesn't get it. Or my kids don't care that I don't feel well. Or my kids say, why do you have to do that now, mom or dad? We need you now. How do you, how do you engage the family? The first thing I want to say is 
your family members are your team and they see you at your best and they see you at your worst. So I'm pretty sure that they have observed you when you have been down and out and they have observed you when you have been glorious and at your best. So there needs to be a sit down and some sort of explanation and kind of like a little powwow with everyone to explain, you know, I'm, I'm gonna use a woman because I'm a woman. Mommy has migraine and um, there are a couple of things that I need to do to make sure that I'm okay in order for me to have your breakfast ready in the morning or help you with your homework. And this is what I need to do. So I need to have these 10 minutes, 15 minutes to myself to do X, Y, and Z. And then we're gonna get to what we need to get you for get to for you. You can even give them a little task to do while they're waiting for you. Um, that's the first thing to make them understand because I think family members are, and we see this in the hospital all the time, they don't want to see you hurt. They don't want to see you down. So the imagery of you not being well is, I believe, for someone who loves you and who wants to see you be okay, the imagery is enough for them to come to an understanding. Um, and if one person can't get it, I'm pretty sure if you tell your spouse or one other person, it can be reinforced throughout your family. So one of the pillars of the American Migraine Foundation is advocacy. So what I'm hearing from you is you're telling our patients that they need to advocate for themselves in order to get better. Yes, and a lot of people might say, oh, what is she talking about? You know, advocacy, uh, she doesn't know what's happening to me. We have to, I think it's powerful to let people know what's going on and be present. Um, I always talk to my patients about when they're experiencing a headache, when they're experiencing a bad mood, um, it's okay. Tune into your body and kind of seep into it and experience that emotion. And once you experience that emotion, you'll see, you, you'll be able to move on and rise from it. And that's taking ownership of what's happening with you and that translates to you advocating for yourself and saying, I've experienced this, this is what's happening, I wanna get better, and this is how I need everyone to help me get better so I can do X, Y, and Z. I've been living with migraine untreated and undiagnosed for many years until recently. You, I know, are someone who lives with migraine as well. Have you found that adhering to these self-help tips that you advocate for the patient works for you? Yes. In, in the world of psychology and psychiatry, there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy. So um, it's basically you're, you're actively working on what's happening internally and you're translating it exteriorly. So sometimes people can have a lot of negative self-talk and you have to kind of talk yourself through it and understand what's going on and you kind of flip it and, and do the opposite and practice that. Um, so for myself, one of the hardest things is when I'm not feeling well and I know I have to exercise, oh my gosh, I can't exercise, I have a bad headache, I have to lay in bed, right? So what do I do? Okay, so that day I'm just not gonna get on the bike, but you know what I'm gonna do? Maybe I might get out of bed and do something restorative, like a meditation session or a stretching session. It's something. And it's simple and you can do it at home. So for our listeners, 
they'll say or they think, I can do some of these things, but how do I keep myself well hydrated? You say I have to drink. I'm out of the house all the time. Or how can I eat regularly when I'm always on the go? What do I do? So um, for hydration, for example, get one of those water bottles. You can carry it empty in your bag, and then wherever you go, if there's a water fountain, you fill it up. Or you can buy some water, put it in there. That way you have it with you, and you don't have an excuse. It's right there. Get it out, take a swig of water, and you're done. Eating, that's the most common question I get from my patients. Oh, I have to go from this to this. I have meeting after meeting. When you go to the grocery store, what do they have? They have those little bars and they have plenty of nutrition. You just pick the right one. You buy for the week when you do your grocery shopping and you put them in every little pocket that you have in your day. In your car, put them in a bag, put them in your, if you're a doctor, your lab, I put them in my lab coat. And when I'm running from room to room, I literally open it up and eat half before I walk into a patient's room. So that's kind of creative ways of making it work. So those tips are wonderful. They're useful. They work. But what happens when the patient, our listener, is out of their routine? It's a family event and they have to travel somewhere. It's a season change and there are big holidays coming up and their lives are, are their routines are disrupted. What advice do you have for them? So the biggest piece of advice that I have for those situations is preparation. You have to prepare. Um, So you know something is coming up and you know you might kind of get out of whack in your routine. So for example, so we'll take the exercise and the nutrition. So if I'm, I know that uh, this weekend I'm flying out to LA and I won't be able to do the same Peloton classes that I do, or I won't be able to eat as well as I would like. So what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna look up a couple of exercises that I can do in my hotel room um, when I wake up in the morning, and that's my exercise, and I'll do that, right? In terms of the eating, um, I'm going to make sure that I have nutritious snacks that I buy before I leave to my destination um, that I have with me so that if I'm in a jam or in a rut um, and I'm not in my usual environment, I have my usual snacks and what I need for me just in case of those moments that I won't be able to do it. So the key is preparation. So So prepare for whenever you don't think you'll have time to exercise, whenever you don't think you'll be able to have lunch. You have those snacks with you. You have those little exercises with you that you can do like with your body work. Those are just little examples. Preparation. So so preparation is key. So you're saying our environment can change, but we don't have to change. Exactly. That's the key. The migraine brain loves to keep things consistent, but our lives are never consistent, right? There's always a wrench being thrown in here and there. So we have to adapt. And the way we adapt is we prepare. Thank you, Dr. Armand. I've been speaking with Dr. Cynthia Armand on lifestyle tips for living with migraine, and there's been a host of of informative tips that she's given us. For these and more tips, visit the website AmericanMigraineFoundation.org. Season 2 of Move Against Migraine, a podcast by the American Migraine Foundation, is made possible by our generous sponsors, Amgen and Teva.